This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Welcome. Welcome to church this morning, whether you're in the room, whether you're online, it's so good to gather together this morning. And so, Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you. God, we want to thank you so much, so much for your great love for each and every one of us. God, we thank you that you are so relentlessly committed to pursue us with your love, that you sent your son Jesus into the world to lay down his life, that we might be made right once and for all with you, that we might be adopted back into your family, that we might know what it is to be redeemed and to be called sons and daughters of the Most High. God, is the most precious gift. And we could sit in that and we could soak in that and we do. We want to be the kind of people that live from that place in all that we do, in all that we think, in all that we say, in how we see the world around us, in how we view and interact with other people. So thank you, God. Thank you. Amen. Well, is anyone really good at playing hide and seek? Shiv is? All right, we're going to have, to have a church-wide game um, after this um, over morning tea. Um, but we are at the age and the stage where, uh, with two young kids, where hide-and-seek is one of the favorite games that we play as a family uh, together. Uh, now, my son Josiah, he's only two and a half, so uh, normally hide-and-seek goes something like you see legs... Um, <laughs> You go, you know, you do the dad thing of being like, oh no, where's he gone? And then you'll hear from the other room, I'm in here! And you're like, oh, it's not really how the game's played, mate. Um, so it's a fun game, but it's often an easy game. But a couple of weeks ago, he absolutely uh, nailed it. Um, so we've, we've moved house recently, so, so things are still kind of, we're, we're moving around um, trying to work out where things <laughs> had their final resting place uh, and all that kind of stuff. And he managed to find in our... Um, what do you call that cupboard where you shove things? I've lost the word. A oh, which one? A games cupboard? No, like not a laundry cupboard, a linen cupboard. Well, we call it a linen cupboard. Linen cupboard in, in, the, in the corridor. Anyways, so we'd moved something, or Kay had moved something, and so there was actually a shelf in there that was free. And so we played this round of hide and seek, and we couldn't find him. We actually couldn't find him. And we're like, hang on a minute, he's gone next level with his hide and seek skills. What is going on there? What is going on? And eventually, we opened these double doors, and he's got himself in. It's a second, uh, second shelf, and he's lying down there like this with his eyes closed, because, of course, if he can't see you, you can't see him. Um, and he just looked so incredibly peaceful. <laughs> So incredibly peaceful. And there was something about that moment, I mean, the game continued after that, where you just go, isn't there something precious about that? About actually withdrawing, about going to a secret place, being hidden, being, being on your own, and actually just have a moment by yourself. I don't know if you have those places throughout your life, those, those places where you would go. Maybe it's, maybe it's that favorite chair that you journal in every day. Maybe it's a, a physical place. You love to go to the beach or, or stand on a mountain and look at and just kind of withdraw from people and withdraw from life and just be peaceful and in the presence of God. Well, there's this captivating image, this captivating idea that's in the scriptures called the secret place. Uh, it's a phrase that's not used particularly often uh, in the scriptures, but when you actually understand what it is, you can see obviously the way that it outworks in, in a whole bunch of, of stories and, and the ways that people live that out uh, in their lives. And it comes from an, um, an old translation, I shouldn't say that, a more literal translation of Psalm uh, 91, that he who dwells in the secret place 
of the Most High. Well, that person abides under the shadow of the Almighty and can say, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. And we see this be the pattern, the normal way of being with Jesus, constantly retreating to, if you like, the secret place. Uh, That place that's unseen by others, that people can't overhear what he's praying, and he just gets to be alone with his Father. Uh, You see it in the way Jesus will teach his disciples how to pray. Go not on the corner, but into your room and pray to your Father in secret. So what is the secret place? Well, the secret place is just simply that. It's that place where we get to go and we get to go and be with the one that we love. Uh, Without others, without the expectations of others, without the interruptions that assail us in modern life or even in ancient life, uh, that, that sacred pattern of going to just be with him, to experience God and his presence, and to connect with him. It's a beautiful image. It's just like um, if you're familiar with airport reunion scenes where people run off a, uh, an international flight and they run into the arms of somebody that they love and it's like everybody else in the airport disappears and they just have this, this moment. Or maybe it's uh, you know, with your bestie late at night and the whole world, it feels like, has gone to sleep but you stay up talking, connecting, sharing your heart. It's like that but with God. And so for the believer, a secret place is a place that we run to. Uh, It's a place that we long to dwell in, that we want to soak in, much like we've just experienced, albeit collectively, over communion. A place where we want to linger in. A place where we acutely feel the absence of if we haven't spent enough time there. Or we've missed out on connecting and being with God in the secret place. Look, I'm a Christian, and I'll be the first to acknowledge that Christians are really good at ruining things. Uh, I don't know if you've experienced that uh, in your life, Um, but there's a great verse uh, in the Scriptures that speak on this that I think Christians have ruined. Uh, So, uh, does anyone grow up singing, As the Deer, Pants for Water? Right, I did. I'm going to date myself here. I started playing on the worship band, kind of late 90s, uh, early noughties, uh, and... um, Back then, with our traditional earlier service, we were still singing a bunch of scripture and songs. Uh, And there's this beautiful song. It is a beautiful song. As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs after you. And it's got these the most pretty piano bits you can ever imagine. Uh, It's pretty and it's lovely and it feels so warm and and isn't that nice? And if you go into Kurong at the time, I mean, you could find it on coffee mugs and there are all manner of Christian paraphernalia. Uh, If you Google as the deer pants for water, you get these lush, lush pictures of these deers that are just incredibly in full health. Their coats as clean and as schmick and as shiny as they possibly can, sipping gently, unhurriedly, undesperately uh, at, at, a, at a water's glade somewhere, crystal clear water. It's like, oh yes, I could do with some bubbling water. Yes, that would be lovely. But of course, the image is much more stark than that. It's much more desperate than that. I mean, go and Google Israel countryside. <laughs> That's probably going to give you a better understanding of what we're talking about. I was thinking about it during the week because I watched. Um, I finally got around to watching June. I don't know if anyone's watched that movie, but anyways, Hans Zimmer, you know, you know, scored that. And it's like, forget this Maranatha music writing as the deer pants for the water. They should have given it to Hans Zimmer. He should have written this kind of desert, guttural themed music for as the deer pants for water. And the image in our head should be of this barren land and this poor. Poor, dehydrated, starving, literally for water, deer, 
looking around, searching for, trying to sniff out, desperately trying to get some water, because otherwise they'll die, right? That's the image. Psalm 42, the psalmist just cries out, you know, as the deer pants for streams of water, pants, right? You're desperate when you start actually, (sighs) I need water. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul, it pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When can I go and meet with him? There's a sense of desperation. There's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of, I need this or else I cannot go on. You know, during the week, we had a, a bunch of people here for a funeral uh, who, who don't normally come to church, many of who don't come to church or, or, or our church. And I had one lady come up to me and uh, really take exception to the word desperate uh, up there on the wall. It would seem to me in Psalm 42 that the writer of the psalm is desperate for God. Desperate to be with him. Desperate to experience his presence. The idea that he can't be who he is, he can't go on the way he's been going on unless he meets with God. And his soul yearning, his soul craving is, when, when can I go? And when can I meet with God again? My friends, do you know what it is to spend time in the secret place? to dwell in, to soak in, and to be shaped by time spent in deep communion with the one who loves you? Do you know what it is to run to the secret place, almost like this instinctive reflex in your life? When something goes well, you want to go and be with God to celebrate and to give thanks. When something doesn't go well, you want to run to God to ask him to heal or to comfort or to guide or or to direct you. The secret place is this sacred communion place where we get to be with God just for ourselves. And we know this. You know this. We all know this. And so I'd love to turn the rest of this message into a blog post, if that's all right. Instead of talking about how and the mechanics, uh, I'd love just to extol the virtues of time spent in the secret place because I do think there's something beautiful and captivating and we want to be moved towards it. So this is not an exhaustive list. For those who take notes, excellent. You'll have more to take notes on than normal. So uh, in the secret place, we connect deeply with God. This is the point. This is the main point about it. Uh, In Psalm 16, the psalmist uh, celebrates that in God's presence, he is filled with joy. God, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. It's there in communion, in experiencing of God's presence. Joy comes as they connect with God. And you know this, we don't go uh, to the time uh, in the secret place with God in order to impress others or be impressive because it's unseen and it's hidden. It's just about connecting with the one that we love. Look, I've got a... uh, anniversary coming up in a couple of months. We've got young kids, so I should probably should start planning it now. Any ideas, let me know. Um, <clears throat> but if I, sorry, this is my wife Kay down the front, if you haven't met her yet. Uh, she's, she's also passed her 90-day um, probation period, just in, just in case anyone was wondering. Thank you, Jenny Learmont, for giving her the tick of approval. Um, but if I was to talk about Kay and I said, do you know what? I love my wife Kay so much. You'd nod and be like, well, of course, that just makes sense. And I said, you know what, one of the things I love doing is I love looking at these pictures of Kay on my phone. Isn't she lovely? 
you look at you. Look, some of you, you can't help but get the smile off your face. You think that's adorable and that's cute. If I go, look, I love thinking about my wife Kay and her attributes, you'd be like, mm, okay, it's deep, but all right, cool, that's, that's good. If I started talking about, well, you know what, one of the things I really love doing when it comes to my relationship with Kay is I love getting together with other people who know her and just like talking about her and sharing how much she means uh, to each other. Isn't that, isn't that great? Yeah, there are some songs. I just like to, I don't know, as I sing them, I, I think about Kay. It's just really nice, isn't it? Um, at some point in that conversation, you're going to be like, do you spend time with her? <laughs> do you actually like being in her? No, I'm here all the time. <laughs> no, do you like being in her presence? Right, you're right, you get it, you understand it. In any relationship, there is a gift of presence, a gift of time. And the only way to connect and the only way to grow is to be with. And so it is in our relationship with God. Time spent in the secret place connects us with him. Where we're not just hearing somebody else speak about him. Where we're not just singing some songs that other people have sung about him. We're not getting together and discussing what he is like, but we're actually meeting with, getting to know, getting to experience getting to be with the one that we love. And so I love Peter for this. When Jesus is transfigured on, um, on the mountain, it's so easy to throw Peter under the bus, but I love that his heart, when he sees Jesus revealed as he truly is, and they've retreated away from their ministry, and they've retreated away from the crowds, and they've retreated away even from some of the other disciples. Well, I'll leave that one there. Um, but he just goes, can we build a tent? Can, can we stay here a little bit longer? I'm loving this sense of secret place and being connected with you. It's what we see with Moses in Exodus 33. As God starts to send them out from that place, Moses just like he stamps his feet and he says, unless you go with us, God, I'm not going. Because what's the point? What's the point of going and doing great and mighty things in your name if you are not with us, if we don't get to experience your presence? And God blesses him with the promise that he will be with him. And so they go from that place. Time spent in the secret place connects us with God. Do you spend time in the secret place? Second, time in the secret place, I told you this was a blog post today, sustains us for our public life uh, and ministry. Uh, so this is very much what I see in the life and ministry of Jesus and in Moses as well. Uh, both men, they retreat to be with God and out of that place, they then go about their daily lives, living and ministering and leading and speaking. Jesus does this beautifully and wonderfully and often. And so there's this lovely verse in Luke chapter 5 where um, Luke just records that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. Um, can't say I've ever heard a place called lonely, but what he's talking about is he, he often went to where people weren't in order to be with God by himself. Jesus went to the secret place. And Jesus goes to the secret place often. That place and that time and that way where he just gets to be with God, his Father, by himself. Not with all the crowd's demands. Not having to think through everything that he says and he does is a teaching moment for his disciples. But just gets to go and be alone with God. And I think it's out of the overflow of this time spent in the secret place that Jesus is able to minister and to teach and to sustain what is an incredible pace of ministry for three years. Uh, and seeing that all the way through to the obedience on the cross. And so there's an exchange in John chapter 4 where the disciples bring back some food for Jesus because they know that he's hungry. They know it's been a while. In fact, he was the one that sent them thinking, hey, it might be a good idea for us to eat, guys. 
And he comes back and he, Jesus says, look, I'm actually, it's okay, I'm okay right now. I'm having a ministry conversation with somebody. And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Right, just before that verse, he says, you know what, I have food that you don't know about. <laughs> I am sustained by something that you can't see. Something motivates me, something keeps me going that's not those loaves and those fishes that you've brought from the nearest village. But it actually comes from that deep connection with God and knowing that what I'm doing, he wants me to do. To do the will of him who has sent me and to finish his work. This is time spent in the secret place. Again, in John chapter 12, he just talks about the fact that everything that he says, every word that he utters, has come from that place of knowing that God commanded him to utter those things. Time spent in the secret place, listening, hearing, being led by, guided by, empowered by his Father, and then from that place to live and to minister. Do you spend time in the secret place, my friends? In the secret place, that's the place where we can authentically be ourselves before God as well. Does anyone ever feel the pressure to be something? No? You guys are very self-differentiated human beings. <laughs> I do all the time. At home, I think, you know, as a, as a father, I have my own expectations of me. My kids have my own expectations of me. Kay has expectations of me. Society has expectations of me, of what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a dad. Uh, in ministry, that's true. When I order Subway, people, you know, everything. Everyone has an expectation of who we are and how we should do what we're supposed to do. And we're always constantly kind of self-monitoring ourselves and changing or shaping or molding ourselves to the expectations of others or the ways that we would like others to perceive us, putting on hopefully not too much of a mask, but certainly being presentable in our life. The secret place is that place where we are known so completely and so radically and so confrontingly we have no choice other than to be our complete, authentic, raw, real and vulnerable selves. And I think that is an incredible blessing. Jesus, when he teaches on prayer, and he's speaking against something, he's speaking against those who do their prayers very publicly in order to be seen, in order for others to think well of them. And yet, nevertheless, he reminds them, when you pray, and I love the assumption that, of course, as his followers, we will, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you do pray, don't go babbling on, because <laughs> they think they'll be heard for their many words. No, 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 no. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And it harks back a little bit to Psalm 139, that we are so, so well known by God. The very thoughts of our hearts the inclination of our hearts at any one time. And so we can actually come to him freed from any pretense, free from any need to perform, free from having to conform to the expectations that others may place on us, free from the wounds of maybe what other people have said or spoken over us, and the things that we've taken on and we've spoken about ourselves. Don't need to self-monitor we don't need to sanitize. 
we can just come before God and be our true, authentic, vulnerable selves, share our hurts, our concerns, our doubts. And in that place, connect with our creator God who knows us even more than we know ourselves and receive mercy and love and all the good stuff that's found in his presence. Does that make sense? Do you spend time in a secret place like that? Or do you feel you need to dress up in your Sunday best like you come to church? (laughs) There's a beautiful restorative transforming power of meeting alone with God and being truly vulnerable and truly yourself. Uh, In the secret place, we draw our strength and we find our direction. Instead of trying to summon up strength based on our own flesh and our own good ideas, uh, we actually can come from a time spent with him and that will overflow into the ways that we journey through life. There is a horrible story uh, in the Old Testament. There's a few, to be fair. Uh, But one of them is in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And so David and his mighty men, are you familiar with, this, with, with that concept? So, so King David, he's got these absolutely a band of brothers, these mighty men, these warriors that go about uh, doing God's bidding and uh, engaging in all manner of military conflict as, as part of that kind of old covenant uh, period in human history. So he's got this amazing band of military warriors and, and they're away from a town where all of their wives and all of their children and a bunch of their stuff is. Uh, And they're separated from it, and so they hear, oh dear, things are not going as well as perhaps they should. And so in 1 1 Samuel chapter 30, uh, David and his men, they've been belting back to reach this town called Ziglag. So David and his men reach Ziglag on the third day. So they've been going ham at it for three days, riding, walking, carrying, all that stuff. Stress, no doubt, adrenaline pumping through their veins. I've got to get home, I've got to get home, I've got to make sure that my family is okay. David and his men reached Ziglag on the third day and they found it destroyed by fire. Can you imagine that? Imagine coming back to the city where all your family and all your possessions are at the time and just seeing it leveled. The sinking feeling they must have experienced. When David and his men reached Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters taken captive. They're not there, they're gone. The Amalekites have them. And check this for real, raw and honest. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no more strength left to weep. I don't know if you've ever got to that place. I genuinely haven't. Or you've cried so much that you actually have no strength left to even cry anymore. And you feel the weight of it with David. David's two wives had been captured David was greatly distressed, not just because of this, but he's the leader. He's responsible for this. He carries the weight of this. They were off following what they thought was God's will. He's got the mighty men with him. He's left the city vulnerable. He's left the city um, open to attack. And so he's got not only that sense of grief, uh, the physical exhaustion of the three-day march to try and get there, but that sense as a leader of failure, and then all of a sudden he gets this coming in as well because, of course, everyone else has lost their wives and their family as well. So David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. That's how quickly they turned on him because each one was bitter in spirit because of his own sons and daughters. That is a pretty rough situation. Pretty rough situation to find yourself in. And although it doesn't say it specifically, 
read between the lines. At that point of grief, of exhaustion, of of anger towards perhaps his followers, anger towards what had happened, his anxiousness over the state of his family and the family of his men, David goes to be with God. And the scripture just records what happened. But David found strength in the Lord his God. In a hopeless situation, David found strength in the Lord his God. And he rises and he asks for this coat, which was part of the divination and part of the the searching out God's instruction and he's leading for the next bit. David inquires of the Lord. You know, he kind of got to the end of himself at that point. He goes, okay, God, what, what do I need to do from here? What should we do from here? And into that, he hears God's voice really clearly, uh, and he follows it, and a little bit of a Hollywood ending, all the boys get their wives and their uh, daughters and their sons back, as well as a whole heap of spoils. But, but I love that he went and actually, at that moment, instead of trying to rise and trying to be like, I'm the king, I've just got to hold it together, um, I'm, a, I'm a military strategist, I've got to think through what my next steps are, I've already got an experience of leadership, I know these guys, what, what should I do into this? He actually goes to be with God, to find strength in the Lord his God and say, God, what would you have for me and for us in the next step? David found strength in the Lord his God. In the secret places where we draw our strength and we find direction as his children, do you spend time there? And lastly, and it's not lastly, but you know what I mean. In the secret place, our hearts are tuned to God's heart. I love this from Psalm 86. Teach me your ways, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Give me an undivided heart. I have to say, for me, this has been one of the biggest benefits and the biggest blessings of time spent in the secret place alone with God is that my heart is different because of time spent there. My thoughts are different from time spent there. I maintain to this day, having followed Jesus for well over a quarter of a century now, that time spent in the secret place makes me a better husband, it makes me a better father, it makes me a better disciple, it makes me a better friend, it makes me a better pastor, it makes me more morally upright. It makes my priorities reflect the kingdom priorities in greater measure. And those times and those periods of my life where I haven't spent time in the secret place or times in the secret place have been thin and and few and far between, I see the opposite of that. As we sit with, as we get alone with, to be with the one that we love, he fills our vision in such a way that it can't help but then change us and shape us and form us and transform us time spent in the secret place with God will tune our hearts, align our hearts with his heart. And hopefully you've experienced that for yourself. Do you spend time in the secret place? Do you dwell there? Soak in it. Let it shape and change you. Do you run there when things are well, when things are bad, when you need comfort, when you need healing, when you need to be reminded of who you are, when you need his guidance, his direction, or his empowering.
At the beginning of the year, we talked about spending time with God. Hopefully you remembered it. Uh, rhythms that draw us closer to God. And we had a little panel up here who shared what it meant for them. We put a little resource out and ways to help connect you with God. Um, a couple of weeks later, we, we talked about you know, what is our heart and our hope and our prayer for ourselves to grow closer to God throughout the year. So this is your little, we're partway into the year checkpoint <laughs> to just ask yourselves, how am I going? How am I going with connecting with God, in drawing nearer to God? Some of those hopes and those hearts and those prayers that I wrote down, um, how have I gone with that? How am I pursuing that? And hear the invitation afresh. Spend time with him. Run. Run to be with him. Uninterrupted. Unhurried. Just you and him communing together. Allowing him to speak over you. Allowing him to minister his grace to you. Allowing him to remind you of how deeply and perfectly and wonderfully loved you are and then to rise from that place and live out of the overflow of time spent with God. Allow God to stir your heart afresh with the beauty and the wonder. Allow him to captivate you with the thought of going to be with him for yourself. And then find ways and places, times to do that regularly, often. Dwell there, soak there. Let God minister to you there. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.